You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. The podcast shining a bright light on disability, sexuality, and everything in between. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve, the number one adult toy superstore. They reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get if I run ads for you? What are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled because this deal is pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store, almost any one item in the store, for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie, if you want, for 50% off. And then, once you get that one item for half price, they throw in even more free stuff. Let me tell you all about it. Okay, so you got your one item at half price in your bag, and you're ready to go, but guess what? This offer also includes 10 free items on top of that that other item. So you get one free item for penis havers, one free item for vulva havers, one free item for couples, and then you also get six free movies from the AdamEve.com website. You can get your favorite porn or an educational film. I love free movies. They're so awesome. This is such a great deal. And then, on top of that, you also get free shipping. What could be better? This is such a great offer. So, to redeem this great offer, what you're going to do is you're going to go to AdamEve.com. You're going to go to checkout and you're going to type in DarkPod. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout. And you're going to get one item, almost anything in the store, at 50% off. And then you're going to get those 10 free gifts, absolutely free, as part of your offer. This is such a great deal. And this is just for you, Disability After Dark listeners. And I hope you run over to AdamEve.com and take advantage of it right now. Content warning. The language content and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark. My name is Andrew Gerza, and this is the podcast shining a bright light on disability, sexuality, and everything in between. 
I am your disabled dick smith, your number one queer cripple, your disability awareness consultant. I am here to do all these things with you today, and to, I'm so excited for the show. Um, this one is going to be a really good one and a really fun one. So, get comfy, cozy, and crippled, and let's get started. Can you believe that we're already on episode 171 of this show? That means 30 more episodes will be at episode 200. Which actually, with all of our minisodes and all the bonus ones we've done, we're actually, I looked at the thing today, we're actually at about like 207 episodes right now, or something like that, which is which is just amazing and awesome, and thank you so much for listening, and thank you for coming up to me when I do appearances and saying, hey, are you the guy that does that podcast? Like, it's really great, so thank you so much for all your support. One of the ways I would love your support is... If you could go on your phones and do like a 20 second clip about what the show means for you as we enter our 2020 season, I want to know what the show means for you, why it's important, why you listen. Just give me 20 seconds of that and I'd love to hear that and you can email that to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com and then I'll play it during an ad break and I'll play it when we do our ads at the beginning, stuff like that. I want to hear what the show means for you as a disabled community so that we can so just so we have more audience engagement. Also, if you want to send in for a Minnesota and tell us your stories with disability, sexuality, and everything in between, you can always send an email to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com, and then I will read it back to you during a Minnesota. We didn't have a Minnesota this past month because I didn't get any letters in, so I want to make sure you know you can always send an email to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. I read them all personally, and I'll pick out four or five to do once a month. I like to do the Minnesodes on the 6th, and if you if you wanted to send in a Minnesota about a funny, weird moment with ableism, you can do that, or an awkward moment with sex and disability, or anything to do with disability that you want to share in a letter, do that, do that and I will definitely read it in a Minnesota. Okay, just before we get to our awesome guest, I want to give a shout out to the people that support the show on the Patreon, and they get a show, they get, for their support, they get the show one day early, an awkward shout out for me, and uh, yeah, so that's what we're going to do now, so the person that I want to give a shout out to is Elijah Jarlam, who sent us $1 a month, and the pun for you is, Elijah, I'm not going to lie to you, it's awesome that you... Sent in a dollar. It means a lot to me. And I was trying to rhyme something with Elijah, and all I could think of was lie to you. So, Elijah, not going to lie to you. Thanks for sending in your dollar. If you want to support this program and hear me rattle off a bad pun about your name, you can go to dis- to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark, pledge $1 a month, and get the show in the Patreon feed on Wednesdays instead of Thursdays. Before, one day before everybody else, and you get a weird shout-out from me. And if you pledge at the $5 level, you can build a show with me. So I'd love to be able to do that with you. And I really, this this show and the support, the support for this show from all of you who support it means a lot. So thank you. But now, let's get on with the show. On the show today, I sit down with my friend Catherine Harlow, who goes by the Park Avenue pinup, and we talk about her experiences being a burlesque performer and also living with endometriosis and a couple other disabilities and 
chronic things that we talk about, and it was just a really fun conversation to sit with her and talk about how she went undiagnosed with endometriosis for a long time, and she actually diagnosed herself. So we talk about that journey. We talk about how burlesque has helped her manage her disability, and her disabilities helped her helped her become a better performer. A whole bunch of things happen here. We talk about a lot of stuff, and she was really fun to talk to. She's very soft-spoken, but she has a lot to say, and I really loved this interview with her. It was really important and fun, um, and I hope you enjoy it too. So without my without any more rambling from me, because I ramble a lot, as you know, you can now listen to my interview with the Park Avenue pinup, Catherine Harlow, right here on Disability After Dark. Catherine Harlow, hello. Hi, how are you? Hi, it's so nice to have you on Disability After Dark. Thank you for taking the time today. Thanks for having me. I'm a little nervous. This is my first podcast, so. Oh, wow. You're, you're, you're <laughs> popping your podcast cherry. Well, then I will be yeah. extra gentle with you. I didn't I didn't realize it was your I mean, did you tell me it was your first one? I don't think so. <laughs> okay, well, then I'll, this is a podcast and we're recording your voice right now, but don't worry. Okay. Um, Hi. Catherine, thank you for coming on the show, and thank you for making my podcast your first one ever. Of course. (laughs) That's exciting. Um, You emailed me because you said you're a big fan, which I was really, it was so nice to get that email to be like, thanks, your show means a lot, and that's nice to hear. So then when you said you wanted to guess, I was like, yes, please. You actually sent a picture of yourself for another project I'm working on, and I think think you followed me on Instagram first, and then... You sent that in, and I was like, oh, great. So, so I'm glad we connected that way. For sure. I think it was the Disabled Joy Project. That's about disabled. Uh, deliciously disabled, yeah. Yeah, doing things that make them happy or things like that. So I thought that was really lovely. Yeah, no, we actually we used that for part of our campaign, which we're, we're working on for Deliciously Disabled. So we put it in, and we put it into our branding. It's coming out soon. So, oh, that's exciting. I didn't know that. Um. But why don't you introduce yourself, who you are, what your disabilities are, um, and how you identify, please. Sure. So my name is Catherine Harlow. I live in New York City. I'm a burlesque performer, a pinup model, a costume maker, and a master's student. Uh, my pronouns are she and her. And I have three predominant disabilities. The most debilitating one, like my predominant one, would be endometriosis. I have something else called pelvic floor disorder, and I also have post-traumatic stress disorder from a lot of my experiences in the um, like the healthcare field, the medical industry, things like that. Oh, we will get to it. The healthcare industry is mm-hmm. a, a trash fire for disabled people. It really is. <laughs> I feel you really hard there, and thank you for sharing that. Um, of course. So, yeah, the way I kind of got a hold of you was through your burlesque stuff, and you sent, like, you sent through some photos, and I remember looking at the photos going, wow, those are really great photos, and then you said, I also have a bunch of disabilities. Um, so my question is, like, one of my first questions to you is, how does, how do your disabilities impact your day-to-day? Oh God, (laughs) Um, I would say that my day-to-day capacity is pretty low functioning. The treatment for endometriosis is something called excision surgery where 
I'll give a really brief definition of the illness, which is cells in your uterus grow basically in very random parts of your body. They've been found anywhere from people's legs to their lungs to their brain, and the tissue bleeds like uterine tissue would during your period, and it causes scar tissue, and if it goes unaddressed for too long, it can affect the functioning of certain organs. Oh, wow. So it's really, truly one of those illnesses where you don't look sick, which I hate that, and we can talk about that, but um, you do suffer. I mean, I have anything on a day-to-day -day basis from mobility issues, because I have nerve pain from the endometriosis, so it affects the way my legs feel and how I walk. Um, I have pelvic pain. I have a lot of nausea, like almost all the time. I always joke with my friends that I'm like a pregnant person. I'm always wondering when this goddamn baby is coming. <laughs> How many years have you had morning sickness for? Tw like 12 years. <laughs> oh, God. It's every morning, too. It's rough. Um, but, you know, I found some things that help me. I've made a medication regimen that sort of keeps me at a good baseline, and I found that using like really high quantities of CBD help me do things like walk and eat food. So that's been really helpful. The sound you're hearing now is the train. Yes. <laughs> and we're, I'm just going to talk over it until the train dissipates. Uh, there it goes. Yeah, it's gone. No, we're good. Um, okay, so, and I'm a shitty editor, so the, uh, chances are I'm not, I have not edited this out. If you're listening to it right now, I'm going to be like, what is that sound? That's what it is. Um, so, as we were talking about endometriosis, I had, like, my ignorant brain went, so, like, every month, do, do the cells that are your, like, uterine cells, do they, is it like having an all, it's like having an all-body period? Do they, like... Yes, it is. But, um, even when someone's on birth control, which I'm on, so I don't have my period anymore, because I was going to the hospital every month, I had my period, and... That was really financially unsustainable. But um, even if you stop your menstruation, you can still have pain and other symptoms at different parts of the month. Um, it's just worse for people during that time. But I think that people hear that it's reproductive or that it's menstrual, and they don't understand that it's like a full body illness, and it's not only during that time. Yeah, I didn't understand until you just told me, and now I'm kind of like, oh, that's terrifying. Like, yes. like, <laughs> like, it just sounds from my like ignorant cis male brain brain. I'm like, oh, that sounds really. That does not sound pleasant in the least. Um, no. And how? So like, when would you say that you would have an endometriosis flare up? Like, how would you categorize when this? Yes. So it's definitely an illness that flares. Um, and it flares in response to certain factors. So for me, I'm very food sensitive and I'm very bad at sticking to the diet that I have to stick to. <laughs> me too. I have IBS. <laughs> I know all of the, I feel this so hard. Yep. I got you right there. But it's all the fun foods, right? So I can't eat dairy, which is like includes desserts and things like that. I can't eat chocolate. I can't drink coffee. I haven't drank coffee in three years. Um, I can't have sugar. It's like... <laughs> I can't have gluten, <laughs> so, so I try my best. So, okay, what does your diet consist of then? A lot of fruits and vegetables. I've actually forced myself to like vegetables more over the years, um, but I'm <laughs> terrible. 
I'm terrible at cooking, so I just try to eat types of foods that don't have a ton of the things that are bad for me. So I find that Japanese food works really nice for me because there's not a ton of dairy in it, and I don't feel horrible after I eat it. Um, so that's been working for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand the food sensitivity. I have IBS, and I had uh, some beef last night, and it was great when I ate it, and then... But then you pay for it later. Yeah, and like two hours later, I was like, I want to die. This is horrible. Why did I do this to myself? Oh, God. Oh, God. Um, so I get it. So how does... Like, one of the things you mentioned on your forum that I really want, want to get into with you, how does, how does it feel being undiagnosed? Like, there are so many people who have disabilities that are not diagnosed that they and they know they're disabled and they know they have chronic illness but nobody will believe them Tell, what, right. like guide me through that experience of being undiagnosed and and trying to trying to trying to navigate the system so just from a statistics point of view it takes people about 10 years and eight doctors to get a diagnosis for endo and it is due to a lack of research, but it's also due to doctors refusing to believe women's pain, which is like a recurring thing that we see in medicine. So I started having it when I was 12, when I had my first period. And of course, when you're 12, like, what do you know about medicine and disability and how you're supposed to feel and everything? So I come from like a toxic family background and I was presenting with these symptoms and my mother just kept telling me oh this is what a period feels like you need to suck it up everyone feels like this you can't just miss like a week of work in school when you feel like this but I always knew through the years that what I was feeling was really debilitating and that it wasn't normal but I would really struggle in school I missed so much school every month to the point that like I barely graduated and oh, no. um Right, and all these teachers and just administrative staff in the school were seeing that I was absent for so long, but nobody really took a second to be like, hmm, this person isn't here a lot of the time. Maybe I should check in with them to see if something's wrong, or maybe I should refer them to some resources. Like, that did not happen. So it wasn't until I got to college and that I was kind of away from those people who didn't believe me that I took it into my own hands. I was lucky enough to have insurance, um, and I just started Googling my symptoms, and I found that endometriosis. That could be a terrifying game. Was that, did you, yeah. Did you like, what, what things did you reach before you hit endometriosis that you would... So, like, it has a very similar pathology to ovarian cancer. <laughs> oh, fuck. Which was very stressful. Um, but um, I think one of the things that I joke with my friends about is that I ended up diagnosing myself and being right... So I always joke that I should have been the one who went to medical school. <laughs> I mean, I, I know that you're not the only disabled person that's, like, disability Twitter and talks about diagnosis all the time and all that stuff. So, like, I know yeah. I know for sure you're not the only disabled person that's been like, I diagnosed myself. Give me that right. fucking MD, please. Like, I know. <laughs> and that salary, please. Yeah, like, give me those dollars that are attached to that. Give me that white man salary, please. Exactly. So, I w so when I was in college... I started going to a bunch of gynecologists and they were like really fancy Park Avenue like Manhattan gynecologists and none of them had any answers for me. Um, they kept giving me sonograms and I know this is kind of technical but endo tissue doesn't show up on sonograms, it only shows up on an MRI. 
so they kept giving me all these sonograms and being like, we haven't found anything. And I was kind of like, okay. Because you're not doing the right test, so how could you? Right, so it wouldn't show up. And um, it wasn't until I just started getting more mouthy and ballsy with my doctors that weren't believing me that I just made a consultation with the specialist. And he gave me like an MRI and an exam. And he said, okay, you have one of the worst cases of endometriosis I've ever seen. And um, you also have something called pelvic floor disorder, which means that my pelvic muscles, which affect my leg muscles, are basically in a permanent muscle spasm. Oh, so they're always contracting? Right. So when you're in pain, like when I started getting my period, when I would have pain, my muscles would go like this. They would tense up. And then they when you're not in pain but when you have chronic pain things like muscles and nerves don't know how to react to pain anymore so I was in pain so often that I started to be tense all the time and now it's something I'm in physical therapy for that I have to learn how to untense those muscles which is a lot more difficult than it sounds see for me with spasticp not the same thing at all but I understand the idea of being tense all the time because my level of tone if we if we like if, if like the physio said hey Catherine, your tone is zero Andrew's mm-hmm. tone would always be two so even if i'm relaxed and i'm calm and like, i'm relaxed right now but because i'm talking to you and i'm expending like muscles to, to do that my tone is constantly right. a two so my body mm-hmm. even when i'm in a seated position is like a two all the time so i understand i understand kind of the same thing of like being consistently tense mm-hmm and, and it does affect mobility because if your tense muscles are crushing your nerves or the area where your nerves are, you're going to have pain in your legs, which is going to keep you from walking or being as mobile as you want to be. That bring, I, I'm going to like put a pin in that because I just had about five more questions about burlesque that I want to ask when we get to that part. But, but when you had to be ballsy with your doctor, like how, like what did you, like how did you do that? I really just printed out a list of all the symptoms of endometriosis and I had literally every single symptom besides one of them. I see interstitial cystitis, which is like bladder pain. That was the only one I didn't have. Later I found out it's because the endometriosis is not near my bladder. But I sat down with this doctor that I had been seeing for years and I said, look, I have all these symptoms. I'm really at a low functioning every day. and..." you don't have any answers for me like I think you're wrong I think you don't know what you're talking about and if you wanna like if you wanna I would be so fucking scared to sit down with my doctor and be like you're wrong it was just like so many years of suffering with no answers like it was to the point where when I was having sex it would be so painful that I couldn't walk for like three days afterward and it wasn't, and not like, it it wasn't like it wasn't like oh he fucked me so hard and so good I can't walk now. No, and it wasn't even in a good way. <laughs> but like that's not normal. And when I have other friends that have vulvas and vaginas and they menstruate, and my experiences are so different from them, it comes to a point where it feels like you're being gaslit by your professional, where you're at such a low like capacity of functioning, and they're just like, well, your blood test came back fine. Or we didn't see anything on the sonogram. And it's like, and so to shift gears just a little bit, when you have this pain and like with other friends with vulvas and vaginas and all those things, like, and because it, because 
we we ignorantly assume that this kind of pain is common when you have these things like how do you mm-hmm. sit with your friends and have these conversations about like sex good sex or bad sex and also like how do you how do you put how do you bring endometriosis into those conversations or do you or do you find yourself like not doing that how do you like engage with friends when you talk about sex with this illness with sexy friends or with my regular friends i mean both sexy (laughs) so i can start with sexy friends um usually when i start dating someone we'll go on a few dates and then if i feel like we're gonna sleep together i'll just give them a really brief summary of what endo and pelvic floor disorder is i'll give them a basic idea of how it works and then I'll just tell them what what hurts or like what my limits are. So like certain things like angles, positions or other things will really hurt me. And I'll also tell them what helps. So like doing a lot of like foreplay, I don't really like that word because it kind of implies that like penetration is the main event, but like yeah. I'll be like, "Oh, if my inner thigh pelvic muscles are hurting, why don't you take my CBD lotion and give me like a sexy massage or something so it's like I struggle with feeling medicalized but I try to make some of my medical needs like a little sexy and involve the other person in them and like how and I do the same thing with my disability too so I've been there how how does mm-hmm. how do your partners tend to react Is are they positive about that are they like have you had partners run away when you were like here's all my reality I think people I think it scares people um I think something about chronic illness that is very interesting is that we get a lot of unsolicited advice and I think that people mean well when they give advice but I think people give advice because they don't want to think that illness is random and can happen to anyone at any time no matter how well you eat or how much you exercise. So I think when I tell people the extent of how sick I am and what I need I think it sort of freaks them out a little bit because it makes them think about the fact that being sick could happen to anyone. Um, and so that's that's like me trying to empathize with people who seem confused about it. Yeah. Or seem to not take it super well. And I mean, I'm sure that, I mean, and I, I'm sure that can be so frustrating because like, you're right. And all of us in the disability community have been saying forever, like disability can and will happen to you at some point so like get ready not in like a get ready like the world's gonna end but it's gonna something will occur in your body at some point Mm -hmm. that is degenerative or is you know something's gonna go on so like start prepping for that right I think the majority of men that I date have tried their best to be accommodating but I've dated predominantly able-bodied men just because I don't really know where to meet disabled men and I would like to but um hey disabled men out there listening you heard that here first (laughs) uh yeah I would love that honestly I think it's just really hard to date someone and I know you don't like the word interabled from other podcasts I've listened to but I think it's the best way for me to describe it um, just when someone has no context or point of reference for what you're experiencing. And I used to have this one boyfriend who wanted to hang out with me like every day. And a lot of people with spoony type illnesses need days to recover. So he would be like, let's go to the bookstore. Let's go to museum upstate. And I'm just like, I can't. And you'd be like, that's so much, that's so much planning <laughs> and so much like prep. 
Right, and so much like medication to pack in my purse and bring my heating pad, and it's like I can't just get up and go, especially when like long spans of transportation are involved. It gets tricky. Yeah, extremely tricky. So like, how did you fend off this really amorous guy that wanted to send every waking moment with you? Which also feels a bit weird because like I like people, but I don't want to spend every waking moment with you. I, like. Let's hang out for right. like an hour or so and then get the fuck out. Bye. Like, like, like. Right. And that's <laughs> I think me. it's nice to see someone like three times a week, but or like two times a week. But when you're spending, I don't know. I don't. I couldn't spend every day with my significant other. I need some time to like recharge and relax. It's just too hard. Um, I wanted to ask you also because you've mentioned that you, and from looking at you, I believe this. You're hyper feminine in the in mm-hmm. the work you do and in, in your seemingly in your life. How how does um, which I think is awesome. How does endometriosis and all your chronic illnesses? How does it? Is it hard to like put on a dress and want to do all those things and feel super feminine when your body's when your body is like, no fuck you, we're in pain today. <laughs> so actually, I have sort of an interesting and I guess uncommon take on this, but my style is like the last type of bodily autonomy that I have so on days like when I'm in pain and when I'm nauseous and when I can't control anything the fact that I can control how I look makes me feel a lot better so if I have a day where I'm in a lot of pain and I'll put some fake eyelashes on and do some beautiful curls and put on some stockings like I almost feel a little bit better about it that's awesome I'm really happy to hear that because I, I, I think you know what I have been sick with this IBS for a long time and I have CP and I, I need people helping me and I've often abandoned and I've said this on the show before I've abandoned my style because like I can't do any of that for myself so like my go-to is like sweatpants and t-shirt even if I'm going out somewhere fancy it's like mm-hmm. a polo and sweatpants it's never like fancy dress pants and a thing because I can't my I can't do that and like yeah if I'm having an IBS flare and I gotta go work part of me is like I don't want to shit my I don't want to, like, have an accident in my, in my like, dress pants and thing. So, like, right. I, I understand, like, wanting to use your style as, like, mm-hmm. to feel good about yourself. It helps a lot. Um, my friend, my best friend, Alexis, um, my absolute best friend for years and has really been on my side with endo even before I got a diagnosis. And she's a nurse, and she was right there arguing with the doctors and when I finally got my surgery 10 years after I probably should have, um, I went into the hospital with a full set of pin curls and like beautiful <laughs> pin-up makeup on, and I, I was gonna be intubated, which is like when they put that tube in your throat. Yeah. I looked at my surgeon, I was like, please don't mess up my lipstick. And I woke up and my <laughs> lipstick was perfect. And I was oh, like- Oh, it's so great. <laughs> Like that's a whole new that's a whole new take on hospital glam for sure. Like that's yeah. awesome. It's really awesome. And he found me the one pink um, hospital gown, which made me happy. Oh, that's so nice. It's so like yeah. <laughs> those are the moments when you're like, you get me. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And it made it a little bit less difficult. Like I feel like I feel very not in control of my body when I don't get to control how I look. Um, which is why burlesque is awesome because it's like a big fantasy and you get to be as sparkly and glittery as you want to. Yeah, let's go there for a minute. So tell me, like, when did you start getting interested in burlesque and how... So two questions. When did you get mm-hmm. interested in burlesque and then how do you incorporate disability into that? Sure. Um, I started becoming interested in it two years ago. 
I had lots of different interests and no idea how to combine them. So I was very into historical fashion. I was very into old Hollywood, like films and the aesthetic. And I was very into erotica. I had no idea how to put them together. And then I went to go see a burlesque performance just as a one-off thing with a friend. And I was like, oh my God, I love this. This is perfect. <laughs> so um, I just started like really researching it and looking into it. I reached out to a lot of performers whose style inspired me and I asked them to mentor me and they wow. did. So I, I trained under them for about two years. There was three or four performers who helped me. And then I started performing about five or six months ago, so I'm pretty new to it. Five or six months ago? Yes, but I wow. did have the edge because I did have the mentorship and the training, so I was in really good hands by the time I was finished. Because if you like, look at your Instagram feed, it looks like you've been doing it. I thought you've been doing it for a very long time. Like, you, look, you look such the part that I... Wow, that's awesome. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Um, so how I incorporate disability into it is interesting right because choreography is inherently like what you can do with your body so the burlesque community has changed a lot in all of the years that it existed in its golden age from like the 30s to the 50s it wasn't so much about what you did with your body but it was more about stage presence and how you commanded a room and it wasn't super strenuous or acrobatic um, it was more just about what you gave off I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Gypsy with Natalie, Natalie Wood. I know. She, it, it sounds familiar. I don't know if I've seen it though. Right, and she'll just do cute things with the curtain where she'll take something off and then put the curtain over her, and it's not something that's overly strenuous, but she's just using more of her charm and her personality to shine through. Yeah. Whereas now with burlesque, it's called neo burlesque now because it's after the revival of when it died. There's more of a focus on what you can do with your body, which I think is unfortunate. So when I deal with producers, I deal with a lot of ableism, unfortunately, because producers will be like, well, your act is boring or it's not acrobatic enough or whatever. And it's like, I hate this idea of like having to make up for that. But what I lack in what I can do with my body, I like doubly make up with with what I can do with costumes all my costumes are completely handmade I will say they're some of the most beautiful costumes in the burlesque scene I don't think I get enough credit for that <laughs> wow you make wait so you make all your own costumes yes wow and given how much pain you just said you're in all the time like that that must take a lot of time and energy like wow yeah and it takes years to make them so I think that with burlesque like anyone would, even if they're not disabled, you work to your strengths. And my strengths are costuming, stage presence, and I trained a little bit in ballet before I got really sick. So I bring like some grace and poise, and I like to use big arms and things like that, but I can't like break into a split in the middle of the song. So I I've had. I that most burlesque performers couldn't do that either. So. I do. And I a lot of producers will be a little bit rude to me about it in sort of a passive-aggressive way. I don't know if they know I'm disabled or not. I'm certainly, like, vocal enough about it on Instagram, but they'll be like, maybe you should take some more lessons or something like that, which I think they think I'm less experienced, but I'm really just, like, listening to my limitations and my style, reflecting what I can do and what I can't do. So, would, so, like... 
if you were to do a routine or like mm-hmm. walk me through a routine, how would mm-hmm. you like can you walk me through like a routine and, and like pinpoint where disability you might use disability to highlight that? This is, can can we do it on a podcast? Uh, I don't know if that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> Let me think. So burlesque performance typically has three parts. The first part is called a parade, which is when you sort of walk around show in your outfit, what you're wearing, and then there's a striptease. And then there's the finale, which one of my mentors, Ginger Valentine, likes to call titty time. <laughs> so it's when you take your bra off and you have your tassels on or whatever, and the show just can't end there. Like, you do a tassel twirl, you do a feather fan dance, you do something. She calls it titty time. So for me, I think if I can't do super acrobatic, bendy, gymnastic things, I'm thinking about how I can use my face and my facial expressions to engage people. So sometimes I like to um, make eye contact with an audience member, or sometimes I'll like to ask an audience member to help me take something off, which is fun, because it really excites the crowd. And I notice like performances get more cheers when people are doing more acrobatic things, so I'm trying to think about how I can bring in those big moments of applause without doing things with my body that I can't do. Yeah, and it's also, it also by asking an audience member to help you, like it also allows for the there's a whole other layer of accessibility that like the audience doesn't have to know, but you know is there. Mm-hmm. Right, and so a lot of the like beautiful arm positions I learned in my ballet training, I'll try to use those. Um, I like a slow burn style of burlesque. Some people are more like energetic, some people are a little more raunchy, but I like to really take my time. Like if I'm taking a robe off, I'll take one of the shoulders off like really, really slowly and make eye contact with someone. And that's not something like really strenuous, but like the energy and the tension of that I think is nice and it works. Yeah, because it's again, you're not doing something like really intense with your body but you're creating a, a tension there that and so it again opens up burlesque to a whole other part of the disabled community um do you know of any other disabled burlesque performers out there i do but i don't know if all of them are openly disabled but i do have some close friends in the community with chronic illnesses i just don't know if they choose to make that public but i do know that they struggle with that too um what advice would you give to up-and-coming burlesque performers who may be who may be in the closet about their their um, chronic illness or disability and maybe want to come out through burlesque? What advice would I give them? I really I really try to be as unapologetic as possible about it because I spent so much of my life thinking that there wasn't anything wrong with me or that even when I learned there was I struggle with the whole I'm not disabled enough thing, which I think a lot of people struggle with. But I I try to be unapologetic about it, and I think other people should be too, because not to get political, and I'm very political. (laughs) Oh, get there. Go there. You you go there. I think that capitalism brainwashes us into having this like bootstrap mentality of the fact that it's valuable to overwork ourselves or burn ourselves out and I don't believe in that I think you should perform within your means and I think when you stay within your means or your limitations you'll find your style so like you can't do a split that's fine you'll learn some like very alluring things to do with your arms and with your face or maybe you'll learn different ways to like take a garment off that's interesting so 
sorry, that's really loud. <laughs> um, so I think it's about trusting that you can still be good while not being like everybody else. Yeah, and do you think, like, do you think your disability and your chronic illnesses bring, like, a level of a different type of professionalism to the style or to the burlesque? Does that make sense? I guess what I'm saying is, like, does your... Because you're disabled and have to had to adapt things for yourself that way into burlesque, mm-hmm. do you think it... Do you think you've changed the game a little bit and how you... I think that I've helped to make productions more accessible because when I get booked for a show, I'll send out an email being like, hi, thanks so much for booking me, looking forward to working with you, like here here are a few of my access needs, and I think that's something that producers have like never heard before, so I think they'll start to be like, oh, this is probably something I should ask people, and then they start asking people after me if they have access needs. Do you think you would ever be like, you would ever do a show that's like, Catherine Harlow, the super disabled burlesque performer, like, do you think you'd ever, like, just blow it out totally the other way and be like, yeah, I'm a disabled burlesque person? I love it. I would love it. Um, I think it's really important. I talk about it a lot on Instagram. I'm trying to find more tangible ways to do activism, so podcast help. Um, I'm running for leadership in the disability union at my university, and I was featured in that Salty magazine talking about disabilities, which is really exciting. That's, right. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, and just trying to spread more information about endometriosis because 10% of women have it, and that's not accounting for people of other genders that have uteruses. So it's yeah. probably a lot more common than um, than the statistics say it is. Um, what is one thing that you want people to know about you and your disabilities that make you like again one of the things that that we connected on was like disability joy sort of so what is one thing like you've talked about some of the difficulties with your illnesses and your disabilities in the podcast which is great but I want to shift a bit and like what what about all that makes you happy I think it's taught me a lot about boundaries and healthy relationships because when I was undiagnosed, I was just doing all of these things that caused me pain and that I couldn't do. And then once I learned that, like, I know it's, I know it's not ideal to, like, make diagnosis the end all and be all of if you're valid or not, which, of course, it's not. But just having a word for it and, like, knowing that I'm included in this community gave me the power to be like, oh, I can actually say no to things or I can... I can ask my friends to accommodate me in a certain way. So it's definitely made me more assertive about my needs, which I wasn't really in the past. Good. I'm really, is- and I also think, like, one of the things about diagnosis, and I, I've said this a bunch on Twitter recently, I mm-hmm. really truly believe that people should have diagnosis parties. When you get that diagnosis and it's for real confirmed, <laughs> like, no matter what is the disability, we need we deserve mm-hmm. a fucking party because like you said, it takes years to get diagnosed properly sometimes. You have to deal with a whole bunch of ableist doctors being ableist. Like you better fucking believe I'm gonna buy a cake and I'm even though I'm gonna have an IBS tag right after I eat it, I'm gonna enjoy it while it's happening. <laughs> and I think that's something that healthy people or abled people don't really understand. Cause they would they're like, why would you be happy if you're diagnosed? I mean that means you're sick and it's like, well, it means that all these years that I wasn't 
that I was feeling like something was wrong and I didn't have an answer for it, like it means that it's valid and it means that I have an answer and that's great. Because answers, even if they don't have a cure, mean treatment. Like I am night and day compared to when I was untreated and when I'm treated now. So I think that's definitely something to celebrate. And I sort of regret that I didn't celebrate mine. <laughs> we should find a way. We You should do a burlesque show and have everybody come eat cake and see. That's what you should do. You should call it, like, the diagnosis burlesque hours. I don't know. Burlesque, I love like, well, I'll think of a catchy title after we're up the air, but something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um one of the things I wanted to touch on, though, that you mentioned before we hit record was that you are also into BDSM and kink. Um, yeah. And I'm really curious about this because I've never heard about this kind of kink <laughs> until you told me right now. Um, really? Yeah, I, which is weird because I'm into, I'm into like, researching a lot of stuff. And I never, I mean, it sort of made sense when I read it, but I never, like, really gotten into it. Um, so you're into okay. DDLG, which, as you said, yeah. is daddy, dom, <laughs> little girl. So can you... Right. Explain that to the audience. Sure. So DDLG is a subset of a bigger kink called CGL, which stands for caregiver and little. So basically a caregiver is someone who's in a more dominant role who does typically more sweet and affectionate things like, I don't know, they can give you a bath, they can brush your hair, they can make food for you, something like that. And then the little is someone who's like a little more childlike, sweet, innocent, you're like more vulnerable and you like accept that caretaking. So with DDLG, it's just the gendered version of like the daddy is a man and the little is a woman. Um, so I've, I've liked that for a lot of reasons. Um, and I think the thing about kink that's so interesting is that I really think it comes from like people's hearts because even when I didn't know that was a kink. I always acted like that in my relationships. I just didn't know that there was a word for it. Oh, wow. So even before I was in kink, like I've always really liked older men. So I'd always date older men where there would sort of be like a power dynamic where there would be a little bit of an expectation for them to take care of me already. Um, so yeah, I was dating older men. They would like buy me nice dinners and like a lot of them would like pick out my outfits in the morning and help me get dressed or they would give me like advice about like a certain career thing that I was doing and I really liked that caretaking dynamic and then I had this boyfriend about a year ago who told me what the word was for it and I was like oh that's so cool and I went on a little research binge just like I did with burlesque to like learn all about it and I was like oh my god that's me um, and there's different kinds of littles, some littles like degradation, some littles like sadism or masochism. I'm what's called a princess, which is a type of sub that likes um, a certain type of treatment and like spoiling and things like that. So I'd really like if like a dom like gave me a foot rub or um, like ran me a bath or something like that. And it's been really interesting like talking to sex therapists and sex educators because I struggled with a little bit of internalized kink shame at first when I started realizing I liked it and then I was like oh no this is so gross <laughs> and then I talked to a few sex therapists about it and I felt better like almost instantly but they were like think about it like you're a sick person you have a lot of needs you're normally taking care of those needs on your own it's like no wonder that it's nice when you have a dominant who like wants to make you feel good or do things that like help you feel better when you're like having a flare or something. That's awesome. So, that, so what you're saying is this particular kink for you allows you to 
almost take a breath and just like stop and be like, I can be disabled here. I can be chronically ill yeah. in this space while also mm -hmm. giving them what they need, but also mm -hmm. being cared for. Right. And I always joke that being disabled kind of feels like you're a one person like business, if that sounds weird. Oh, yeah. Totally. Let's know. That sounds totally. Yeah. I completely agree with you. Yes, yes, yes. Because it's not only being sick, which is enough to deal with on its own, but it's going back and forth with all your doctors. It's submitting appeals to insurance. It's like getting paperwork for like your job if you work and doing all of this like clerical stuff, which is like a ton of work. And you're doing it all on your own it's not like you have like an assistant who can help you I mean unless you have like a patient care advocate which would be really nice I don't have one I don't have one but, either, so yeah it's nice like when you're into DDLG and like say you have like a medication regimen that you're in charge of like your daddy could be like okay you're gonna take this pill with dinner and then I'm gonna give you CBD before you go to bed and then I'm gonna like rub your back and put your pajamas on and I'm like amazing <laughs> like I get to shut my brain off and yeah, I, I think that's why like acts of service has become sort of my love language because a lot of the things that I do for myself, like give myself like a massage in certain areas that are flaring up, it's nice to like, I'm really bad at asking for what I need from other people. So like kink has really helped me be able to be like, hey, can you do this for me? <laughs> and it can be really hard to ask for what you need as a disabled person, especially when you are you know when you're when you're when you are presenting the way you're presenting there's the, also this right. this assumption that you are supposed to be independent and like able mm -hmm. to do all these things so like i can imagine and correct me if i'm wrong but i can imagine like it would be really stressful to not be able to to like to fulfill that role of like i'm independent i'm like i can do all this and then to realize you're sick and actually need the help yeah yeah and i think the hard thing is when you don't look it, which I think I, I hate that because what does that even mean like what does looking sick even mean you know yeah it's like there's no right way to look sick no. I mean you can't look at someone and be like they have a neurological disorder like that's just like it doesn't make sense to me but I think one of the hardest things I struggle with is like asking for a seat on the subway because I do have muscular neurological things going on but obviously like you held up by looking at me but it's like not down for that long sometimes the train is really crowded and I, I I hate to admit it but I don't ask as much as I should because I don't want to have that conversation of like oh well you, you don't look disabled because that'll ruin my whole day and I'll hold on to it for like a really long time so most of the time I don't ask is but I, I should you really better should. At that you should but I understand why you're, I totally am in the same boat with you as to why you don't like I totally get why you don't do it because it's fucking the worst but like do you find that burlesque is a way as a therapeutic way for you to let go of all that stuff yes um i had a surgery recently it was my excision surgery where they went in and they took all the tissue out and they sort of um what's the word they restored like functioning of some of my organs so the tough thing about surgery is not only do you have to take the tissue out, but if the tissue is growing on certain organs, as a doctor, you have to be able to also repair those organs. So I have some scarring, and for a while, I was deciding what I wanted to do about that. So I was asking my doctor, like, oh, how do I reduce these scars? What do I put on it? I don't want to have them. And then I thought about it, and I was like, oh, I'm kind of being a hypocrite if I want to cover up all these scars and put makeup on them and 
the way because like I I don't want to hide the fact that I'm disabled and I'm not embarrassed about it so like when I perform I put body makeup on basically every part of my body besides my scars and like people will see them and ask about them and I'll tell them and it's like a nice little way of being like yeah I'm disabled but I'm also a performer and I'm also like hot and like sexy and like very entertaining <laughs> I mean I mean I think you just like named the title of this episode right there I'm disabled but I'm also hot <laughs> um, this was such a great chat and I, I just really enjoy I want to kind of end it on a high note because it was so all that's really good is there anything else you want to share before we're before we go uh, do I want to share I guess I would say that if someone is undiagnosed or if they feel like they're disabled and they're not being believed, I would just tell people that you know your body better than anybody else. And if you feel like something's wrong and you feel like you need help, I would just press on and keep going to doctors and keep like believing in yourself and surround yourself with friends that believe you because you deserve like validation and good care and things like that all of this is true and I fully support all this I also want to say because you asked me to say it so I'm going to say it right now I want to plug that you <laughs> are you are on social media as Park Avenue Pinup on Instagram everybody needs to follow that account right now because it's amazing and I'm telling you to so pause this and go there right now also book Catherine at parkavenuepinup.com and what I love about what you said in your thing, and I'm going to read it, I'm going to say it basically verbatim, is that I want to plug this because you're available for burlesque bookings, pin-up, fetish modeling, makeup, make, sorry, making costumes, etc. And I love this because you said freelance incomes help me, helps me cover a lot of medical expenses, and I want to say that in the thing because so many of us are working just to survive mm -hmm. and are doing it because we love it, but also because we need income. So... When a disabled right. person says, plug my shit, I'm going to do it. So, um, you. <laughs> it means a lot. Thank you. You're, I just love talking to you. Thank you for taking us, taking a deep dive with us into a little bit of your experience of burlesque. And I love that you're one of the very few disabled burlesque performers that I know. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think there needs to be more of that. So seriously, follow Park Avenue Pinup. Follow Catherine. Talk to her. Get the things going. And also... <laughs> To the men in New York, who <laughs> I also want to be taken for dinner and bought stuff. So if you, <laughs> I'm there for that. Um, but truthfully, Catherine, this is such a fun conversation, and thank you for taking the time today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It was such a pleasure. I'm gonna to talk to you off the air because I'm having fun right now doing that. So, um, okay. Thanks for coming on the show, and we'll talk to you soon. Of course. Bye, everyone. Bye. Okay, Disability After Dark listeners, that's another show for this week. Thank you so much for continuing to help shine a bright light on issues around disability, sexuality, and everything in between. Really, really appreciate it. It really means the world that you keep coming back and clicking. I see all the numbers go up every week when you listen, and I really, it means so much to me that this show has kept going for so long, and people love it so much, and I really, it means so much to me that you keep listening. So thank you for doing that. I really appreciate it. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com where you can see some of my writing, some of the videos that I've been in, and you can book me to come speak at your next event through my website. 
If you want to follow me on social media, I've just changed my social media handles. So my new social media ha- handles for both Instagram and Twitter are at Gerza Grams. That's G-U-R-Z-A-G-R-A-M-S. So like Instagram, but Gerzagram. I thought it was funny, and I like alliteration, so that's what my new handles are. Follow me there on Insta and Twitter, or you can follow the podcast specifically at Disaft Dark Pod. I also started a new um, sexual sexuality and disability justice Twitter. Andrew Gerza XXX is my sexuality and disability Twitter handle. That way, I can focus. I can focus on the Gerzagram one more about disability-centric stuff, and on the Andrew Gerza XXX one, I can focus more on um, sexuality specifically and disability specifically. So you can follow me all those places. It was a bit rambly, I know, but I want to let you know all the info. You can follow me all there. Uh, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week for next for another episode. Bye. P.S. I'm really bad at intro at outros, but here it is. There it is. Thanks, bye. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations with music by Chris Ujiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2019.